Okay, there was this televangelist, a Hindu holy man, and a rabbi that were at this big ecumenical meeting. And they were headed home and they had car trouble. And so they had to stop at a farmer's house and spend the night until they could get their vehicle fixed. And the farmer said, well, you know, I think I can help you, but I really only have room for two of you to sleep, so one of you is going to have to sleep in the barn. Well, the rabbi was the first one to raise his hand and says, oh, well, you know, my people wandered in the desert for 40 years, so I don't have a problem with that. I'll, I'll sleep in the barn. So they go to bed, and it wasn't too long, and there was a knock at the door, and there was the rabbi. He said, you know, I'm sorry. I know that you were so kind and so gracious, but you know there's a pig in that barn, and we think pigs are not clean, and so I really can't stay there. So the farmer said, okay, well, you know, and he looks at the Hindu holy man. And he says, sure, I'll, I'll trade places. And so the Hindu holy man goes in the barn. And everybody goes back to bed, and a few minutes later, I knock on the door, and there's the Hindu holy man. He said, you know, I'm really sorry, but there's a cow in there. And, you know, we think cows are sacred, and, you know, so I, I, can't, I can't sleep there. And so then everybody looks at the televangelist, and they go, okay, fine. So the televangelist goes in there, and everybody goes to sleep, and a couple of minutes later, there's a knock at the door, and there's the pig and the cow. <laughs> okay. Now... I didn't even have to tell you that the televangelist was Christian, did I? Because we tend to always equate televangelists with Christians. And there are certain circumstances, at least in most of our lives, when sometimes we cringe a little at certain identifications and certain definitions or ideas of what a Christian is. And I know we've all, at times maybe struggle a little bit about certain elements of the church. Whether that's televangelists, whether that's, you know, the faith tradition we came from, how we've been treated. You know, all of us kind of have certain elements that at times can make us just a little bit uncomfortable about the church, which is not the same thing as Christianity. And sometimes we can get uncomfortable. But, you know, if you read the New Testament, there's a couple things that are pretty clear. One is that the church is God's instrument, God's chosen instrument for accomplishing what we call the mission of God or the Missio Dei. And that, two, something seems to have gone terribly wrong with that instrument over the centuries. And I don't know about you, but one of the parts of church one of the things that's kind of inspired by our story about the tele televangelist is the whole concept of evangelism. That's a tricky topic in the church today. Makes a lot of people uncomfortable. It's, it's one of those areas that we sometimes think has especially gone wrong. And I don't know how most of you feel about the idea of evangelism or what you think that means. I can tell you that for most churches, we just as soon call it anything but evangelism. We call it welcoming. We call it outreach. We call it hospitality. 
But for whatever reason, and we'll maybe look at some of those, we struggle in the church today to talk about what evangelism is and what it should mean in our lives. I think sometimes we equate it with a certain kind of person or that we equate it with the idea that what is happening is they're trying to convince us to believe a certain way and to become a certain kind of person. And that there's a part of us that wonders, is it really authentic? Is it really genuine? Or is there an ulterior motive? We kind of question it and we struggle with it. Well, you know, recently I was actually involved in a, in a pretty amazing conversation, discussion, uh, with fellow seminarians about the whole idea of evangelism. And one of the things that we talked about was really from a, a, a very well-known, what's called missional theologian who's since uh, died. His name is David Bosch. And he talked about, over the centuries, that you can kind of look at different scriptures that, if you want, could describe how we thought about evangelism in the church as a whole. He started out by saying in what's called the patristic era, that's kind of the early few centuries, the scripture that best described how the church responded was John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believed in him should have life everlasting. And then he said, you know, in the medieval period, the scripture that best described how the church thought about evangelism was probably Luke 4.14.23, and that's a part of the, the parable of the great banquet. And that verse especially says, Then the master said to the slave, Go out into the street and compel people to come in so that my house may be filled. So there was a lot of compelling that was going on in the medieval period. Then you look at what they call the Protestant Reformation in the 1600s. And they say, well, you know, it's probably more Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith. Now, in the modern era, which is kind of anything since the Enlightenment, the scripture that is often identified with the whole concept of evangelism in the Christian church is Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go therefore and, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. So it's con considered the great commissioning. And we had a discussion about that. Is it still true today? What has happened over all these centuries as we've tried to evangelize? What's been the outcome? And what would a good scripture be that would fit today? And more, more specifically, what would be a good scripture that would fit what it is that we want to do at Cathedral Folk? Well, my professor of evangelism, Elaine Keith, she actually suggested that she thought the reading for today in Philippians would be a good one. But first of all, she said, there's a question we have to ask ourselves. And I know that you've asked this question in your own way. 
How can we heal from the wounds that were caused by a controlling, exploitive, domineering Christendom that's been the model of the church? Because, you know, there are people all over the place that are not willing to listen because they've been subjected to what we would call an exploitive gospel. My guess is many of us in this room have had times in our lives when we struggled to listen and struggled to be a part of because of what we heard coming at us, what we felt was the motive. And so the whole concept of what is evangelism for us is a good question. And especially, I think, in light of the holy conversation that we had last Sunday about why we were here and what it is that we found here. Because I don't know about you, I heard an amazing similarity. But I heard from all of you that you felt this was a place to belong. A place that you felt welcome, that you felt safe, that you felt you could be yourself. And so it's particularly important when we look at that and say, how in the world can we evangelize? What is it that we need to do? Because I know there's a part of it that says, well, is there a way we can figure out how somebody else can do that for us? Because it's a little scary. You know, we're going to do the flyers and we're going to go and we're going to put them in the community, but I don't know about you. There's a part of me that gets a little nervous saying, well, now, exactly what do you want me to do? Do you want me to, like, talk to people about this? That, I mean, and it's not that you don't have faith and it's not that you don't believe, but that can be a little scary. What is it do I say? What is it that I believe? What is it that I share? Well, let's look at the reading from today. And I will tell you, in your bulletin, the reading really comes from what's called the Inclusive Bible, or, or the first egalitarian translation. And a part of the reason that I use that as opposed to the New Revised Standard Version is because of the very beginning. It sounded like words that I can imagine hearing. But let's talk first about where this came from. This is a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. But, but Paul's in prison. And you know, I don't know if Paul had an idea of what his ministry was going to look like. I don't know if he had any idea how long it would last or what the trajectory would be or what he would undergo. And I don't know that he thought he'd end up in prison. But that's where he's at. And yet if you read it, you realize that as he's trying to talk to the church and write them a letter, we don't know exactly what's going on. We know there were some issues about unity. That he's talking to them as a man who has given all for what he believed. But listen again to what he says. He says, if our life in Christ means anything to you, if love or the spirit that we have in common or any tenderness or sympathy persuade you at all, then be united in your convictions and united in your love with a common purpose and a common mind. That is the one thing that would make me completely happy. 
There must be no competition among you, no conceit, but everybody is to be humble, valuing others over yourselves, each of you thinking of the interest of others first. Your attitude must be the same as that of Christ Jesus. In the New Revised Standard, it says you should have the mind of Christ. Be of the same mind as Christ. And then it goes into what's really called the first hymn in the Bible, the Christ hymn, that talks to us about what Christ did coming to this earth and who took on human form and who wanted so desperately to be a part of us and to know who we were that Christ emptied himself in humankind and that Paul is talking to us about doing that same thing. You know, that's, that's, that's a tall order. What does that mean? Well, you know, there was actually a classmate of mine who said something that I've just not been able to let go of. I was so impressed with the whole idea of what this young man shared. Because as we, as we were talking about evangelism and about the great commissioning and that we're to go and to, and to baptize and make disciples and then to talking about this Christ him and the concept that we are to have the same mind as Christ, the same attitude as Christ. This young man said, well, if I understand what we've been saying correctly, what I'm hearing is that it's not so much about gaining people to Christ, or as we often say, winning souls to Christ, as it is about giving Christ away. And more than that, he said, and when you give Christ away, you give up any notion that you can control or that you should control how Christ is made present in that other person. In other words, it's not trying to get you to look a certain way, to behave a certain way, to believe a certain way. That you receive Christ in your life in the way that you need to based on who you are. But that we're to be reflections of Christ. And so in essence, what you're giving away is the Christ that's in your life. You're showing it to other people. And the metaphor that he used for it, he said it's like having red paint and buckets of different color paint. Everybody's got a bucket that's full of different colors. But if you put red paint in all of those buckets, they're all going to look differently, aren't they? But they're all going to have red paint in them. And you know, I see the red paint in all of you. And that's what I hope that you understand, that when you're called to be an imitator of Christ, you're going, I don't think I can do that. I don't think I am that. I disagree. I see the red paint. I see it in your desire to encounter God. And to be connected. I see the red paint in your kindness and love and gentleness with each other. 
Think about it. Six months ago, how many of you knew each other? Six months ago, how many of you could imagine that you'd be at a place and be in a book study or be at a potluck and think, ah, I love these people. That's the red paint. That's the Christ in you. When you try and be kind to people you see in the street these days, because I know you've changed, and I know you look at people differently. I look at the generosity, and you're giving to this church and to the outreach things that we do. That's the red paint. Because, you know, when you're... How many of you have ever admired somebody or looked up to them and just thought that they were all that in a loaf of bread and you wanted to be just like them? Now, you didn't try and impersonate them. Because when you impersonate someone, that means you're trying to get other people to believe you're that person. So you're not trying to imitate anything. I mean, to impersonate. You're trying to imitate, aren't you? Because what do you do when you try and imitate somebody? You try and behave like they do. You try and have that same mind that Christ has. You try and be kind and loving and caring and thinking of others. You try and be prayerful. You try and be in worship. All of those things. That's imitating Christ. And I promise you that that red paint is seen by others. It's all different for each one of us, but it's there. And that's what we're called to do. So I'm not so sure that that's not a bad scripture to talk about what we mean about evangelism. I think there's a lot more. I don't think it has to be just one. But I think the idea that we're called to have the same mind as Christ, have a common purpose, makes a great deal of sense. And I hope in some way it takes some of the fear out of you. That evangelism is knocking on doors. That evangelism is telling people that you have Christ in your life. That's that's not what Paul's saying. Because ultimately Paul's admonition is not about impersonating Christ, but adopting the kind of Christ-like attitudes in all aspects of our lives. That's what we're being asked to do. And it's a process. It's not an event. It's not once you say, oh, you know, I believe that there's a, you, this immediate transformation. It's a process. And I know that you've seen the process in each other. I know that more than likely you do a better job of seeing that process of transformation and of having the mind of Christ in each other than you do yourself. So can I just admonish you that if you can see it in the person sitting next to you, that they can see it in you. And to trust that it's true. And to trust that it's taken place. And in fact, 
I'm actually going to ask you to do something next Sunday. I have a project for school, and I got to pick what I wanted to do, and one of the things that I could do is a creative art project. Well, now, if you know anything about my creative arts ability, you would say, Lynette, why did you choose that? <laughs> I, I don't think you're going to get a good grade. But apparently, talent is not a prerequisite. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring a poster board and some poster paint that is going to take you back probably to elementary school. And I'm going to have hopefully some pie tins that have different colors of paint. And I want you to pick a color, and then I want you to put your red paint in it. And then I want you to put your hand in it, and I want you to put that hand on the paint. And when we're done, we will see the red paint that is everywhere, the Christ that is in all of you, for the world to see. And I promise you that it's there. And I promise you that the people that you come in contact with every single day can see it. Thanks be to God. Amen.